This is the Evolving Spiritual Practice Podcast. So, Barbara Hunt, welcome back. You're the first uh, person I've interviewed twice. <laughs> oh, cool. <clears throat> and, and today we are going to be talking about forgiveness because you've written the book on forgiveness. You're going to get it. There we go. Forgiveness Made Easy, the revolutionary guide to moving beyond your past and truly letting go by Barbara J. Hunt. <clears throat> and how long's the book been out? Um, I published it in 2017. So this is the third, the third winter. So this, this time of year it came out. Yeah. And what, what's that? Is, is this is your first book that you've written? Yes. So what, just before we get into the subject of the book, I mean, how was it writing a book? Um, it, was, it was really interesting because I'd, I signed up for a book coach to help me do it. And it was a very intense program for about 90 days. So the idea was to write your first draft in that 90 days. And it was quite expensive. So I crowdfunded them to get the money to um, to actually pay for the book coach, which was great because it meant I also had the momentum of lots of people who I cared about and who cared about me um, on sort of like in the background. So I so it really helped me to actually do it. And so the first draft was <clears throat> that was interesting and um, very poor. But I'd I'd also been um, told by a friend of mine whose husband is a very successful writer. Uh, to write a very bad first draft. So I did write a very bad first draft. And then I renamed the book, wrote it, the whole thing again with a different lens, which was the trouble with forgiveness, because I was really interested in why we find it so hard. And then realized that wasn't going to sell either. And so then I rewrote the whole thing again and um, called it Forgiveness Made Easy. And who was, who was helping you edit the book? So again, my, my very good friend um, who remained anonymous, CD, um, so she helped me edit it. But I did have lots of other early readers. I had five early readers, my son included, and they were all giving me feedback on what was working, what wasn't. And then when they'd given me feedback, I would then edit as far as I could go myself and then send it to my friend who is an excellent editor. And we, we had a vision that it would be the go-to book. Like any time you want to know something about forgiveness, this is your handbook. This is explains, you know, what it is, what it isn't, how you do it, what gets in the way. And it's really, because forgiveness seems like a mystery and often it's connected with the spiritual world or with religious back, you know, with religious um, teachings. I was, I was wanting to help to undo where it was connected and I do still think that it is an incredibly profound spiritual practice right up there with meditation. I think it's, I think actually what forgiveness asks of us is probably, and in fact, you said this, and I quote you in my book, Ralph, um, that it's, that it's a synthesis or a distillation of all spiritual teachings, the act of forgiveness, because it's an, it's an internal maneuver that we don't, it's almost like we don't even know how we're doing it. You know, maybe when you're first learning a, you know, like a, maybe a martial art or even yoga or Pilates, something like that. And someone's telling you to move something and you're like, I don't even know how I move that thing inside of me. And I think it's the same thing with forgiveness. We're, we're being required to let go of something that we mm. don't even usually know that we're holding onto or why we're holding onto it. 
Yeah, I think what it makes me think is it orients your approach to life uh, so that life's not a problem anymore uh in that in the i mean it's it it can be difficult it could be horrendous but if you uh if your default position is one of forgiving life for being so dark painful cruel and miserable as well as all the you know i mean (laughs) all the good things but um that's 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 a fundamental shift in your orientation to life and 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 so many people are are stuck in well they they have a relationship with their own life or life in general uh that's kind of like a dysfunctional personal relationship you know one with the lack of trust and um uh petty arguments and bickering over little things and forgetting the wood for the trees and all of those things that we do in normal uh human to human relationships we kind of repeat that on a larger scale um and uh so for me i kind of that's when i was thinking of it as being like this master practice a universal practice that all of these plug into i think that is a very important base layer to then build a life upon or practices you know it's like a kind of foundation and it's it's a massive thing so it's 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 a simple idea but it's very difficult to do and it's one that you imagine keep coming back to yeah and it's really funny it's such a fascinating thing it's almost like the more i've thought about it and the more i've had conversations with people and the more i've been interviewed and i prepared a a presentation for the integral relationship facilitators group recently and that was fascinating because i put forgiveness through an integral lens so to look at what what parts of the whole does it involve and that was it was very illuminating to do that and and I, but i think i like what you're saying about the 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 foundation of it because i think when when we think about forgiveness and the things that are to be forgiven it's usually something that is not the way we want it to be and so if you imagine sort of life is like this and then as soon as it diverges from how we want it to be, where that's really where we get a grudge or a grievance or a gripe or something even greater, like you know, serious revenge or hatred or vendettas or war. But it's like, it's as soon as something or someone is different from the way we want it to be, there's a gap. And so what, what we know when you're talking about the spiritual path, you're talking about aligning with life the way it is. Hmm. And, and even wanting it to be different has a, has a kind of a gap. And the gap is where our suffering is. And the bigger the gap, the bigger our suffering. Yeah. Well, it, and it re- reminds me of this distinction between pain and suffering. That pain is an unavoidable aspect of life. Yes. But suffering is optional might not be the right word because, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, we're so conditioned to suffer. But um you know, with with um, if you bring online uh, very determined will and all of these other things, that you you can actually choose. I mean, choose is a very strong word here, but you but you could choose to not suffer in life by taking very seriously a practice like forgiveness, one of these all encompassing ones. 
-hmm. So you're still feeling pain like any living creature, but that suffering is kind of in the field of what that problematic relationship with life and God, nature, goddess, whatever, you know, that wider context. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with you. So as soon as we start arguing with reality or the way people are, that's when we, we start suffering. And I agree, there is pain, there is. And a lot of, I think when you look at the world in general, a lot of the suffering that people experience is optional as in we could do things differently. And some of it's about how we think and some of it, like you said, it's a cultural expectant, expectancy or acceptance or um, just an, a norm that we haven't questioned. And there's so many assumptions that we don't question. No, and I think that, um, you know, this, this integral perspective on it, that there's an individual level of forgiveness. Um, then there's a kind of a cultural uh, element to forgiveness. It's, it's sort of, uh, you know, that, that kind of intersubjective culture that we're all swimming in um, that, that influences the way we behave and relate to one another. And then we've got the, the actual institutions that are enshrined in law and the infrastructure, even down to architect, you know, what do we live in a forgiving architectural environments, you know, or can we forgive our, can we forgive our inner city ugliness or whatever? And it's um, that we quite, when you think of a lot of conflicts that forgiveness would be the solution, quite often people want the forgiveness to only happen on one of these levels. Like our ethnic group needs to, we want you, your ethnic group to forgive us. And, you know, that might happen on, on an individual level when people meet face to face, but then there's um, all sorts of uh, cult geographic things which locate your tribes and they might, your ethnic groups might be um, blended together in really uh, uncomfortable ways because of the town planning and those sort of things. And then there's all sorts of cultural history that that then and, and really to work on it in a way uh, that's going to be most effective is to take this broader perspective and not geek out on one of these um, mm -hmm. does that make any sense so it, it does, struggling it does, struggling to get that out in an articulate way no it, do, it does make sense but interestingly i when i did look through the integral lens ultimately you do end up in the upper left quadrant which is the interior of the individual because if you, even a hundred year war, the people who are doing the warring hundred years later must have been taught it by the people who were, who came before them. Cause you don't, it's like you, we learn our hatreds, we learn our prejudices and we learn to forgive. And, and so in some ways, although it plays out and there may be, like you said, the blending of different cultures in one particular geographic area, the resentment, if, if somebody said, go and find me the resentment and I want you to clear it up off the pavement, mm. you can't. It's, a, it's an invisible thing. It isn't actually in the physical realm at all. It's, so it's, much of it would be an oral tradition. Yeah. Passed down, you know, yeah. like stories of... Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's, there's no physical element to it. And I think that's one of the things, because the, the, my particular fascination about forgiveness is why we don't do it. 
because I think there's a lot of assumptions and there's a lot of spiritual teachings out there about how amazing it is. And there's even scientific proof about how it improves your stress, you know, lowers your stress levels, you know, um, lowers your cortisol, improves your overall well-being, even improves your immune system, which right now is a, a really good thing. And, um, and that's like Ken Wilber was lauding its virtues recently on a, on a talk that he did about how important forgiveness is as a spiritual practice. And, uh, but so I'm fascinated, why don't we do it? If something is that amazing, why don't we? And you could argue there's lots of, you know, evidence of human stupidity in the way we live our lives and the risks we take and the foods we eat and the recreational drugs we take. And, you know, there's lots of things that we do that aren't good for us. Um, and forgiveness is an extraordinary potential for transformation, not just for the individual, but in relationships. So you've got, you go like inside your own heart, you feel differently. It transforms the relationships that you have. It also transforms the culture that you're living in and potentially could transform the world. But the actual work of forgiveness, the letting go is inside each heart. And that's one of the things why it's hard is because you can't see it. It's not something that you can have evidence of. And I did, when I was doing my presentation for the integral people, I was looking on the internet for images of forgiveness. And of course there aren't any, there's hands being held out with the word forgiveness on stones or, you know, there's kind of like doves and, you know, leaves falling, but you can't see forgiveness. And I think that's one of the reasons we struggle with it so much is it's a concept probably a bit like meditation or mindfulness that you can't really, you can't see it. And so we find it hard to do, you know, you can't, if you can't imagine it, it's, it's a hard thing for us to actually achieve. So you're, book helps kind of lay out well give shape to forgiveness so people can actually get some kind of purchase on it yeah so it, it does several things one, one of the things is it talks about what forgiveness is so and i use a really specific definition in my book which is forgiveness is the absolute refusal to hold ill will against someone or something for what they did or didn't do so I'll say it again, because it's quite wordy. So it's the absolute refusal to hold ill will against someone or something for what they did or didn't do. And so if you think of it like you're holding on to something, if this is a rope and you're on the end of the rope, you would know for sure if, I, if I'd let go, because you'd be winding down the mountain at great speed. So you know you've let it go when it's when you actually choose to. And so that's why I like the definition. It comes from Kay Bradford Brown, who's one of my early teachers. And, um, and he also talks about resentment um, because resentment is ill will held over time for good reason. And that's, and that's the bit that often we don't understand. We don't know what we're holding onto. And I, so I, I like to think of the, the there's a, a spectrum of, of um, resentment. So you've got resentment in the middle and then you've kind of got grudges, grievances, gripes, just wanting things to be a bit different, just being a bit, you know, nitpicky with your spouse or whatever, right through to on the other end of resentment is vendettas and war and everything that doesn't get forgiven and that people think is unforgivable. I mean, there, there are people who, who would say certain acts are unforgivable. And in, in my book, because you're the one who's choosing to hold on or to let go, then it doesn't actually matter what the grievance is. 
And interestingly, I mean, this is, I get this a lot because I, I work on a retreat. And so we work sometimes with groups of people. So I'd be working one-to-one -one with maybe like 20 different people in a week. And sometimes the people who have been abused sexually or emotionally or mentally or physically as children or have ex experienced extreme trauma find it easier to forgive than people who have a difficult husband or wife or just like a brother who was a bit spoiled more than they were. It's absolutely fascinating that the thing mm. is not the thing about whether or not you can forgive it. It's not dependent on whether or not it's this pencil or this pen. Yeah. So that, that runs against our intuition. Yeah. So what you must have drawn some kind of conclusion about that. Well, I mean, what's, what's fascinating is that it's, some of it is to do with what you make it mean. So that's kind of back to what we were talking about at the very beginning. It's, it's our interpretation of things, the meaning that we give things that creates the suffering. So that, that's in there as well. So it's not just the event is not the way we want it to be. If somebody says something, because one of the people I was remembering who've had real difficulty forgiving a family member said something really unkind at a wedding and she was like i can't ever forgive them for that I, i'm not going to ever forgive them that was unacceptable and you so and, and just one other thing to say about forgiveness and resentment is that um there's a, a really good book by um i can't remember his name right now um michael mcculloch michael e mcculloch and about the forgiveness instinct and so he argues that we have an instinct for revenge that was programmed in us when we were creating our very early societies to say this is acceptable behavior and that is unacceptable behavior and if you do that to my daughter then there will be consequences to your daughter or another family member that you can kind of understand how there was a way of those kinds of things would create a social cohesion of what's acceptable and what's mm. not acceptable in terms of behavior. But he also argues at the same time is that we have an instinct for forgiveness because again, we're living in communities or way back then we were, and some of us lucky enough to be doing that now. Um, so people are able to, it's almost like we need to be able to forgive. We need to be able to um, put our shield of grievance down. We need to be able to let go when we need to in order to maintain our societies so it's, yeah. very, it's very interesting they're both in there it would be a matter of minutes before each society fell apart if we couldn't fit or family you know if you just literally yeah. couldn't forgive yeah exactly so there's um so we're making a distinction here between behavior that really is um just deserves some kind of punishment or you know repercussions uh the, the behavior that is it's not I just, so it's bad behavior basically yeah and yeah. we won't want that in our families in ourselves in our society um the forgiveness is something slightly different than that so you know someone might say oh right so you're you're saying you should just forgive everybody and there's no such thing as a bad action and there should be no consequences for people that for example, murder somebody, or that's not what you're saying. That's not I what imagine. I'm saying. Yeah. So we, people must uh, come back with come back at you with yeah. with that. Yeah. And what's your answer to yeah. that? And and I think that's another reason why we're afraid to forgive 
it's because we think that's what it means. We think, so as, along with what forgiveness is and that very clear definition, I also talk about what forgiveness isn't and it isn't letting people off the hook. It's not saying things are okay when they're not okay. It's not about not pursuing restorative justice. You would pursue restorative justice if it was appropriate. You would divorce your spouse if they were violent and unkind. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's not, you know, about being a doormat. It's just saying that I, I, can, I can go through the courts holding onto my resentment and hating my partner and screw them for as much money as I can get out of them. Or I can consciously uncouple. I can see it's the end of our relationship. There, we, you know, let, that we're not going to be able to go on any further. We've got kids between us. How do we negotiate that that works for the whole family? And I don't have to hate my partner in the process. I don't have to hold the resentment. You know, I can, I can do it like that or I can do it like that. You know, and, that, and that, that's basically the choice that we always have. And it's true. And it doesn't mean that you wouldn't, you know, incarcerate people if necessary, if they're violent and, um, you know, uncontrollable, you know, or, you know, do rehabilitation programs for people who, you know, who want to do that, you know, so it's not, it's not about not taking any action. It's about choosing to not hold the ill will so that you can then see clearly in order to know what the next action is. I think um, this, this is sort of uh, a, a power that you have as an individual it's, it's like the last power you have as an individual to actually do that act of forgiveness so you, let's say let's say somebody murdered your child um and it was t completely out of your control there's nothing you could do about that situation um and it's obviously an awful situation and uh, you know you'd hope that that person would be brought to justice um imprisoned probably for the rest of their life or whatever um, and no one can ever bring back your child and that leaves a hole in your heart forever um, so all of that's kind of out of your control but the one thing you can actually decide to do and that you actually have power over is whether you can let go of that at the, in, a, in, a, in a manner of forgiveness in your own heart yeah um, I think probably for me, for the sake of your own self-love and the love of life, perhaps, or something, that the, the inability to forgive is, 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 is toxic and it literally kills people. Yeah. Um, and it also toxifies the culture and society. You know, it is, um, it's a poison. Yeah. And... And it's it's up to you, and it's yeah, whether you're gonna pump more of that into the system. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a big move. I mean, I'm not saying it's a little thing. It's 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 a it's a big move. But I think that's why the word power comes to me because it's it's a very powerful move to make. And we there's lots of examples of people making that move. They're in the newspapers, you know, that we read about, and I think from a Perhaps from a sort of spiritual perspective, there are Tibetan Buddhists, monks and nuns that have been tortured in jails under the Communist Chinese Party. And because they are um, devout, long-term spiritual practitioners, um, and they have these deep, deep, deep religious beliefs in, um, you know, in that tradition, 
that they've really have been through hell uh, in dungeons, torture dungeons, just like the worst thing that life serves up to people. And even having gone through that, they are not lying or bullshitting us or pretending to be pious or anything like that. They actually genuinely have said, and they mean it, they forgive the people that have done that to them. Yeah. And that, it kind of puts hairs on the back of my neck, just thinking about that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it is extraordinary. And like I was saying before, it's not necessarily any correlation between the severity of the act that you're forgiving and mm. your ability to do it. Yeah. And th those are extreme circumstances. And I think sometimes when we have those kinds of exemplars, we feel very ashamed of yes. our inability <laughs> to forgive our spouse who repeatedly will not put the lid back yeah. on the toothpaste or, you know, whatever the little grievances. And again, that's partly, again, the approach of my book, which is to normalize the need for forgiveness. Like it's not something that you only need if you've been tortured. It's something mm, that you need yeah. every single day of your life because you are holding grudges and grievances against pretty much everyone you've ever met. And, you know, I'm speaking from personal experience because when you really think about it, a lot of the time we do want things to be different from the way they are. And there's that great alternative serenity prayer, which is grant me the serenity to accept the people I cannot change, the mm. courage to change the one I can and the wisdom to know that it's me. And we always want other people to be different from the way they are. And almost the definition of a resentment is if you were different, I'd be happy. Yeah. Uh, why, why won't you just be more like how I want you to be rather than the way you are? And so that is why it's a spiritual practice because you're constantly trying to come back to reality the way it is rather than the way you wish it was. Yeah. And you're living in a, like an ungrounded state of wishing things were different rather than with the reality of the way things are. And, and then there still are conversations that you need to have where you can say, what will it take? How can I help you to put the lid back on the toothpaste the evening? You know, what will it take? So you know, there, there may be conversations that need to be had. And I, I know it sounds really trivial and, and maybe that's too trivial, but, but I think that my, my um, invitation always is that we take care of our own hearts and we take care of the grudges and grievances that are in our own, our own hearts. And they can be historical if we haven't done our forgiveness work. So it can be going right back to our parents. And, and then this is where more of the obstacles show up because a lot of people will go, oh, well, I don't resent them. I just, you know, they, I'm just disappointed, which basically says they weren't the way I want them to be. Mm. Um, but, but even that, you know, when we recognize that our parents were probably doing the best they could with what they had, it's not still not quite the same as forgiveness. And I, I met with somebody the other day who said, oh, no, no, it was, I didn't meet them. I was listening to them on the radio. And they were talking about this um, girl at school that had bullied them. And she said, well, I don't, she, I've got nothing to do with her anymore. I'm not, you know, she's not in my life. So, I, you know, I don't even think about her. I don't think about her. So that isn't forgiveness. Hmm. And when, and when she was kind of asked by the interviewer, um, it's, there was something about, or oh, is there a school reunion or something? Would you go? And she was like, oh no, there is actually, there's a school reunion. I'm not going. So, so even though she thinks that this woman isn't in her life anymore, her resentment is still in her body like you were saying about poison. There's some other great quotes about resentment is like setting yourself on fire 
and hoping the smoke will bother the other person. So <laughs> that man is like ah, taking yes. poison and hoping the other person will die. I mean, yeah. it really is, it's all inside you, mm. all of the bad feeling and resentment comes from the, the um, origins of resentir from the Latin, which means to feel again. So you're feeling again, the anger, yeah. feeling again, the wishing yeah. it was different, feeling again that, you know, how, you know, why are they the way they are and why aren't they the way I want them to be? Well, so. um, when you say, um, oh, yeah, I forgive my parents or whatever, because they were just doing the best they could or, or, or that person bullied me at school because, you know, they had a rough time at home. That's, that's working on the level of your mind and logic. But then the, the, the type of forgiveness really we're talking about here happens at the level of our hearts. You know, it's, it's, it's an emotional, it's almost like right at the, the core of our sense of identity or something. It's, it's, it's extremely deep gesture. Yeah. Makes you think of the, the Indian, um, the, the Sanskrit words that pops up a lot in the Indian traditions and Tibetan Buddhism and stuff, a mudra. It's a, it's a, it's a, an internal sort of subtle, on a subtle level, you know, yes. a, a, a gesture, yeah. um, your, your actual, um, yeah. orientation, as I was saying before. Um, and you know, we could probably all sit around and use our brains to, to figure out why, yeah, yeah, we forgive these people, blah, 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 blah. They were doing whatever the best they blah, blah, blah. But We've, we've got you've got to take it down to the level of your heart really yeah. to do this work and perhaps there's you know there's the gut is the other level and i don't know how that features in it's not something i've thought about but i don't know whether you have do we need to go into our, <laughs> our guts well, I, think, well, I, I think we do i mean when i when i work one-to-one -one with people so there's two things one is one is i in my book i've created a, a forgiveness made easy process which is like what you're describing a mudra it's a ceremonial act of forgiveness where you you are consciously choosing to to let go and it and it is a bit like because i come from a, the catholic tradition i was brought up as a catholic and so there are what's called sacraments in the tradition and so each one of these things so like the the sacrament of confession or communion or marriage or the last rites they're these different points in your life so they are a bit like the the transition the ritual transition from one stage in life to another which is one of the things that we've lost culturally we don't celebrate like the first blood for girls or boys you know becoming men you know there's there's that sense of we don't have those rituals that that mark those important significant events and so the way i set forgiveness up is to make it a significant event and if you work with me one-to-one, -one, it takes about 90 minutes if we're going to really constant, you know, like genuinely forgive somebody for something, particularly something that was difficult or childhood abuse or just a challenging childhood. Because sometimes, you know, even just the birth of your little brother or, you know, parents moving house or going to boarding school or whatever it is, they can be significant events that need attention. And although you might not necessarily immediately think, well, I don't need to forgive myself or my parents for sending me to boarding school but but maybe you do because there may be a wish in there in the very younger you that wished it was different you might not have been consulted often children are told oh you're you're going to go to boarding school there's no kind of consultation sense or if you're moving house there's like well we're moving 
and and the kid is going yeah but my best friend lives around the corner and there's no sort of sense of negotiation because always the adults know better and so in some ways the forgiveness ritual that i do with people is like a shamanic soul retrieval where you're allowing the younger aspects of you to also be integrated and to say what wasn't okay because the the rational adult adult us is going well i understand they had to move dad's job changed so of course that blah 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 so we can rationalize it but it's that's really also a, uh is that that's also a defense against going deeper into the emotional pain of it exactly, you know, it's, exactly. it's a way of do, doing fake forgiveness perhaps or something yeah exactly because we don't want to feel the pain and so one of the other things i do in the forgiveness book is look at why don't we want to let go of our resentment and there are very subtle interior things that are going on that mean that we it's easier just like you said it's easier to hold this as my resentment than it is for me to expose my heart and to feel the pain or the grief of the things I didn't get or the things that happened to me. This, this is so much more palatable. We would rather carry our resentment around, even though it's heavy and toxic. We want that more than we want to actually have an open-hearted, vulnerable relationship with life. Yeah, I think maybe that it, it, it gives you a perverse feeling of being in power that you know, you've actually, I've got something here my resentment exactly. i'm in a powerful exactly. position now because i hate you and um yeah. Yeah. you know that yeah but it, it's yeah. as, as we were discussing earlier it's it's that that sense of power is actually an illusion there yeah. the, the yeah. real act the real act of power is to forgive deep in your heart yeah and brad brown says resentment is the power of the powerless so right. when you've got nothing this mm. feels like something yeah just like you're saying one one thing that, that i'm thinking is um so i mean this might be your personal bias towards uh the individual level of things but i'm thinking about say black lives matter and um some of these cultural movements that they're pushing for collective action so it's not it's not like well, each in our individual lives, we need to make this forgiveness. They're saying we want this to be a law. For this this type of um, yeah. So it's there's this kind of the, the the polarity of the the individual level of working at things and then the collective. And uh, you yeah. know, you've talked you've talked quite a lot about the individual level. What, what about this collective level and what are your yeah. thoughts on it? It's, it's, that's a great question. The thing is, I, I do agree that laws need to be changed. I mean, we need to have equality regardless of whether, you know, I mean, you know, between men and women, all, all genders, um, you know, races, creeds, you know, everything. Mm. But when you make it cultural, it's out there. They, yeah. they should be different. They, if, yeah. if, and you could change the law and no one forgive anyone, yeah. you know, and, and that, I think that's the trouble is that you could, it, it looks like, oh yeah, I'm all for Black Lives Matter and blah, 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 but I hate my fucking husband. Mm. But do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. and then, so you've still got resentment. It's just maybe I don't hate those people, but I still have resentment. And, and so the, the reason why I always bang on about it being the responsibility of the individual is because it is. And we're all interconnected. And so if I do my forgiveness work and my heart is much more available and open, I'm much nicer to everybody I meet. 
I'm yeah. more available. It doesn't just improve my, you know, love life or the people that I'm connected to. It, there's something different energetically. And, and the really weird thing about forgiveness is it has a, there is an energetic part to it and I can't explain it. And it sounds woo woo. And yeah, I've got long hair and I look like a hippie, but it's like, there's something very important that happens. And I've witnessed this a lot of times when I've been on the retreat. So for example, there's one really good example. This woman did some forgiveness work on her mother. And then she came up to me a couple of days later and she went, you'll never guess what my mother phoned me out of the blue and told me she loved me. And she has never done that in my whole life. I mean, those, those kinds of things, or, you know, you do your forgiveness work and then you have a really sweet connection with somebody or they'll text you, you know, and they haven't been in contact or, you know, that kind of thing that, that happens all the time. So in some ways your individual work is for the collective mm. because we're all interconnected. Yeah. With that, um, oh, there's a there's a whole rabbit hole. I'm not even going to get, not even going to touch that one because it oh, might take us time. away. It might take us away from the the the, matter, the, the, the subject. But um, I think you know, again, it, it's one of the insights that I, I've picked up from Ken Wilber and this integral stuff is the importance of first, second, and third person perspectives, and that they're they're all as they're all as valid as each other and important and to really make change happen you've got to include all of those and so you know this the the, the legal stuff laws that's that's a third person thing and as you rightly point out um if that's the only way you're going to try and tackle it then it's always out there it's a third person mm -hmm. thing and then you know what we're, you're bringing in this first person and second person perspectives to kind of balance it, it, it all out and I think we can't all be experts in the first, second and third person versions of this. You know, you're obviously an expert on working on an individual level with this. And then there are other people which know a lot about law. You know, they might have studied law at university and um, civil rights and those kind of things. And they'd be in a better position to... Um, work on that third person level i think one thing that's important to point out is that people it's, it's what's really great is when people recognize the validity of first second and third person perspectives so just let's just say there's someone working on the the law side of things and civil rights law that they don't think well this is the most important thing they're saying okay th what i'm doing it's my natural bias my conditioning has made me apt for working on this level and then there's this person barbara over here working on a more individual level what she's doing is really great and important and it meshes with what i'm doing but so often we get this kind of thing where people who have a bias towards the first person stuff say oh you know they're wasting their time with whatever and vice versa yeah yeah no i would say i would say all of it do all of it yeah and, yeah and also definitely. in the process itself you do go from a first person perspective where you're speaking as the I to switching shoes with the person you're speaking to. So you're taking the second person, you're taking the other person's view. And then you're doing what William Urey, the peace negotiator calls, negotiator calls going to the balcony. So you're taking, trying to get a, like almost like a third person perspective of the dynamic as well. But I, but I totally agree that we do need to be legislating at the same time. I mean, and also we can't really wait and we, we do need to be doing our forgiveness work individually and collectively because Thomas Hubel does amazing trauma release, um, you know, collective trauma 
work, which is really important, especially for certain cultures where they have, they are holding a lot of obvious trauma. And uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's another amazing piece of work, but it is different. And so, like you said, you know, my, my particular um, speciality is working one-to-one -one with people. And, um, but the principles are the same, the principles of forgiveness and, and why you would want to be doing that work are the same. And I think the resistances to it are the same. And even when you're legislating, I think there's that sense of outrage of you don't want to let people off the hook. And, and, and I think, you know, when you get to countries and cultures and when there is resentment, how do you resolve that without also there being legislation and collective work and individual work? I think it does have to happen on mm. all levels. What, um, what are your thoughts on the differences between different religions and forgiveness as a part of them? So when I think of Catholicism, they've got um, confession and, uh, you know, in, in Christian, the wider context of Christianity, uh, you know, Jesus for, forgiving us our sins and all of that stuff. Um, I'm not aware of it that that much in the, the stuff I've encountered with the Indian traditions and Tibetan and and Zen and those sort of things. Forgiveness doesn't seem to be quite as prominent as it is in the Abrahamic religions. Um, yeah. I don't know whether that's just because I haven't been looking hard enough, but uh, wh what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know because I can only speak from my personal experience of my upbringing and then my spiritual inquiry since then, which has been into Sufism and then into evolutionary spirituality. So in some ways, I can't, can't really speak. But in, a, in very general terms, the reason I, you know, I'm glad for my Christian upbringing is because Jesus was a master teacher of forgiveness. And when he was asked, how many times should I forgive my brother? He said 70 times seven. He didn't go, oh, only once or, oh, but, but not those things. Don't forgive those things. He, he really was expecting us to have it as a master practice. So every single time that you need to forgive, you need to forgive. Mm -hmm. And I quite like the other thing about taking the log out of your own eye so that you can see clearly to take the splinter out of your brothers. That sort of, again, the sense of self, you know, like you need to do your work. And, and, you know, and maybe that just that's, has informed what I've written and, and my particular approach to forgiveness. But what I find really encouraging, the Dalai Lama talks about forgiveness as a secular ethics practice, which I really like. And I wrote my book as a secular ethics book, so I didn't make it spiritual. And I think actually there are some spiritual teachings, particularly in the more new age spiritual religions, or spiritual teachings that actually make forgiveness harder to do because there's this sense of, well, ultimately there's nothing to forgive because nothing happened. And, you know, and you chose to have that experience. Your, your car, you know, your soul chose to have that experience. Um, and when you're talking about childhood abuse, I just find that really hard for people who wanted, it's almost like the, the child that suffered needs some kind of care and attention and integration and we don't know about karma we don't know what we were choosing whether we chose all we have is the reality of the the trauma that was caused 
and then whether or not you let that inform the, the way you live the rest of your life, whether you carry the resentment about it or whether you find a way to heal it. And so I always want to be really honoring of the trauma and people being a victim. There's a lot of sort of like anti-victim, you know, like you're not a victim of your circumstances. Actually, sometimes people are a victim of their circumstances and sometimes shit happens to good people. There are cultural bias in our incredible privilege makes it easy for us to say things like that, that you're, you're choosing, you know, your soul, blah, 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 blah. And that's a big, as far as I'm concerned, a big fat don't know. Mm. And so you want to just honor the reality of the person and, and work from that point of view. And then also just in terms of other religious approaches, um, I was contacted. In fact, I had a really lovely review by uh, a Muslim imam saying, this is the best book that I've read about forgiveness. And I was having real problems with my supervisor. And um, I haven't, I've only read the first 83 pages, but I think it's brilliant. And, you know, I thoroughly recommend it, which was wonderful. And especially because it was, it was applicable in another religious culture, which was my intention. And as far as I understand it in Judaism, there is a, there's, I think it's um, one of the religious, I can't remember the name of it now, it is all about forgiveness. I think it might be Yom Kippur um, is, is, a, is a forgiveness um, day, a sacred yeah. day. Mm. So, yeah. Well, I like what you're, what you're saying about it, uh, the secular ethics thing, because that yeah. something that makes sense on that level can be plugged into any worldview, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when you talk about being out of alignment with reality, that's a kind of secular way of describing um well no so like life not being the way you want it is the religious way you might say that is you haven't surrendered to the will of the divine mm -hmm. you know some divine entity wants this life to be the way it is it's god's will or the goddess's will or the unnameable mm -hmm. gen genderless supreme entity um but then you you could e you could say that with equal power i think by saying reality is the way it is and if you want it to be different um that's going to be a painful life yeah because you're you're constantly going uphill and i think it, at the same time you know so i'm always thinking what people might say in response to that so I think we're also, I'm assuming you're not saying don't ever try and make your life better. You know, so there's a kind of surrendering to reality as it is. And then there's that kind of, you might call the evolutionary imperative urge to make life more, more good, more true and more beautiful. Um, so how does that kind of mesh in with all of this? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's like, it's when, because reality is the way it is. So, so it's, it's kind of just saying, you know, green is green, but it's like, if you want to make green go blue, you have to add a different color to it, you know, or you have to, you know, it's a completely different color actually, but, but do you know what I mean? It's, it's almost like, it's almost like you, it's like starting from where we are and going, ah, yeah, this has happened. This is my current reality. But now, 
as an evolutionary, what's my choice going forward? What do I want to do differently next time? What do I want to, how, what's my, the direction of my next step? That is in our, definitely in our, um, in our power to choose and, um, and towards what's better, you know, what is more true, good, true and beautiful for sure. So in that stance, you're co-creating reality. So, you know, you're, you're, you're a participant in shaping the next moment with, as life itself, you know, as a, as, but also as an individual. Um, so, you know, I think there's a sort of more passive thing where it's just reality is just uh, <laughs> there and you've just got to lie back and take it, you know, as if you're some kind of, um, you're not really part of the picture, you know, whereas, in this evolutionary um, spirituality, conscious co-creating uh, perspective, you know, it's we, you're more of an active agent in collaboration with nature, evolution, the divine will, whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I think what we're talking about is the response, isn't it? It's like the the it's the call. So this is life being whatever it's being and then it's at what's our response to that and it can be in alignment with you know the divine or you know a, a higher aspiration however you want to express it and and i think i think it's forgiveness comes in because it's a place of being free it really is that like reconciling what has happened and choosing to not carry it with you. So it's, it is like that. And in that way, it is like a, a spiritual um, mudra or, or like a, a way of being in the world where you are not tethered to the past by your resentment or by wishing it was different, which is the same thing really. Mm. And you are freely available to meet the needs of the moment without any baggage from the past, ideally. So you that and in some ways that is where you become very powerful because if you haven't got the the resentment dragging you back, you're free to respond in a in a three sixty degree way, which may mean you help to change the law. Hmm. Well, for increased freedoms, uh, increased personal freedom is always a good selling point for a secular society, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, I was thinking how, um, you know, through, through meditation practice, one of the things that is classically realized through that is that part, half of our identity or whatever is this formless awareness, which it has a completely unproblematic relationship with this moment as it is. And it's in the nature of that part of yourself to to not forgive this moment for being what it is. It's a completely alien, um, well, it's a concept for a start, so it's alien to formless awareness because there's no concepts there. But um, you know, when you start to meditate and you you build up a deeper relationship with that part of yourself, and again, I'm not saying that's the the only part of who you are. There's loads more to the picture, but it's a it's a, it's a uh, an aspect of ourselves which most people don't build up a relationship 
with because they haven't done meditation or whatever. Um, that forgiveness actually is our identity. It is our nature at that level without any effort on our part. Be because this, this formless awareness part of ourselves, uh, one of the signatures of, of that is, is effortlessness. And um, so I think once, for me, uh, be, uh, building a deeper relationship with, with that part of who I am has, it's always, hum it's, it's a humbling experience because all of that stuff's already done. It's the very nature um, of, of who I am at that, that, that level. But there's a kind of, tr a, a transpersonal level to it too which is why it's so awe-inspiring that there is this part of yourself which is so at home with this moment and you're right because that's the that is the part that doesn't need to do any forgiveness work because it hasn't ever held any resentment because it's eternally free mm. but I, I don't think very many of us actually live 100 percent of the time out of that part of us but <laughs> i think that old material that yeah the ego yeah. is still well it's, yeah but i mean so that part of ourselves has no ego um and there's an effortlessness to that part the, the, this is all done already there at that level and then on the sort of level of uh form and our egos and personality that's that's that is hard that's hard work there um and that's kind of probably where most of well i don't know is that should most of your focus be at that level i mean where well I mean, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, I do believe in doing what, whenever you need to do your forgiveness work, that you, that you do it. But, it, but it's almost, it's so that you can return to your attention being on that other part of you so that you get free. It's, it's not in order to do more forgiveness work. It's not, you know, a perpetual fascination. Because I think that can be one of the things that happens with the ego is it's so fascinated by itself that it likes to tell its stories over and over and over and over and over and over, which is why you can be in therapy for 30 years and never forgive anyone. I just, and I just, just had an image of a film I saw, and I think it was Ralph Fiennes was the actor, and he was some absolutely horrendous person in this film. And he got this thing where someone said oh you could forgive people and he was just going around and go oh, i forgive you i think it, he was some kind of like oh god it's, i don't know yeah. it, um i think he might have been i need to look it up i i'm, I'm going to go out there on a limb and say it was a film about the war and maybe he was an office uh, some nazi officer and he was just forgiving people and he, uh, you know normally he'd just kill people but he he'd get into this thing where he'd be like oh i forgive you I forgive you. And then he'd be feeling really good about it, but it was just utterly perverse and disgusting that he was forgiving people from this place. It's, it's like a caricature of the worst part of our egos right. hijacking this thing, you know, right. Interesting. Oh, I forgive, I forgive that person. I forgive. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? My, and that, that, I think that's another place where forgiveness gets um, misused or misunderstood is that that sense of condescending, you know, like I, from my lofty heights of, you know, having judged you, have decided to let you off the hook. That's the that's the sort of that's one of the forgiveness definitions that I'm not talking about. It's not it's not mm. about that. It's not about. But there, that we, there's a lot of that out there. You know, there and is. I mean, I can I've noticed myself do that many times in my life. You know, where I feel like I'm trying to climb back on top. It's just, it's a, it's an act of dominance. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I forgive yeah. you. 
And that's, yeah, yeah one, one of the um, payoffs for holding on to your resentment can be you get the moral high ground because we love being right. We'd, we'd rather be right than happy most of the time. And so being having the moral high ground or being superior in that way or being right or better than other people can be very alluring to the ego. And that can be another reason why we don't want to let go of it and do our forgiveness work. It's because we get something out of it. So that that's that that can be there's i in my book i've written a, a lot about the payoffs for holding on to our resentment all the different games that the ego plays the things that we get out of it the benefits all the the seeming benefits because of course when you look a little bit deeper they're all costs they're all actually disadvantages to our well-being and who we really are how do we actually forgive people you know just say you're you know, what, what are the kind of the, the, the A to Z instructions in your book? <laughs> well, there's, there's a few things I think that have to happen before you try. And I, this is one of the things that came up when I was working on the integral presentation was I think there's like a, a ladder of readiness for forgiveness. Because if you're at a place at the very bottom of the ladder where you're saying, I'm never going to forgive you for that like the client that I had recently with the family who member who insulted somebody at a wedding, never going to forgive you for that. You're not really going to do any forgiveness work. If you can't see past, okay, maybe I should forgive it, or maybe I want to forgive it, or maybe that I've got another wedding coming up and that person's going to be there. So I need to do something to, so I don't feel quite so full of hate or that I turn the invitation down. So you need to be at some level of willingness. Having said that, I have worked with clients who've actually said the words, I'm never going to forgive them for that during the process. And so it, you, you don't have to know how, you just have to be willing to forgive. You have to just say, okay, I don't want to carry this around in me anymore. It's, and that's, and that's the recognition. And so that there's, so that there are seven steps to the process. And, and I, and I do recommend that people keep a list of the people that you need to forgive all the things you need to forgive. I've had helicopters on my list before now, because I live in an area where there's helicopters that are buzzing around at night. Sometimes it can be intensely irritating. And when I did do my forgiveness process on the helicopters, I have to say I was much less irritated by the helicopters after that. Mm. And then back to Jesus with the 70 times seven, if I feel irritated by helicopters at any other time, I'll put it back on my list and do my forgiveness work again. And then I also looked up who do I need to write to about the helicopters? Cause it's, I'm near a mini ministry of defense uh, place. So I could write to them. So that's, that's where you do mm. the action as well as your forgiveness work. Mm. But in fact, actually, you know, you might not have thought of writing that if, if you're just wallowing in your feeling of being pissed off at helicopters, yeah. that the clarity of that course of action may never have dawned on you because exactly. you haven't got enough freedom and energy to even contemplate exactly. how to too do it. Too busy gnashing your teeth. Yeah. yeah. And too tired from being so resentful in the middle mm. of the night and feeling angry. Cause that's the thing. As soon as you feel angry about something and the resentment is running through your veins and kind of like holding onto it makes you feel 
even more resentful and then mm. you can't sleep at all which then keeps you awake so then you hear the helicopters and you know you sound like you're talking from personal experience there personal experience yeah i mean that's the other thing the irony of you know when people say you teach best what you most need to learn you know i i obviously have been able to hold a lot of resentment and i and i've also been willing to let it go i don't mm. want to carry resentment with me and so i i at the moment Elon Musk is on my list of people that I need to forgive because he, you know, ejaculated into my sky all these satellites that I didn't want. And so bits of my sky are moving at night and I don't want that. And I'm powerless. They, he didn't ask me whether that was okay. And so, you know, it's like, it's often we resent things that where we are powerless, where that we have no control. I've well, that, no that, control over what yeah. the Ministry of Defense do over their helicopters. Go on, do you want to add something? Yeah, Sorry, well, I, well, I think though, that's where that serenity prayer comes in, isn't it? You know, you pass out the things that really you are beyond your control. Yeah. yeah. And then the only sane course of action there is to just forgive the damn thing. Yeah. And move on with your life and work on the things you can actually exactly. do. So you say it's a seven, so seven step process. Seven steps. So yeah. step number one is to actually be willing to forgive then. Well, that, that's, that's a pre-step. Oh, okay. Yeah, step zero. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. Step zero is, is being willing, you know, and, and, and the funny thing is, is like the, the only people who I do work with are people who are either at one of the retreats and, and it's included in part of what you do on the retreat um, or you've, you know, you've come to a session. So, you know, you're going to be doing forgiveness work usually, or you might have been sent by a, you know, like a, a, a fellow therapist who will send you to me if I need to, if you need to do some forgiveness work. So, so it's, it is a very specific thing that you may not have done in any other kind of therapy. So, um, so, so that I think a willingness or at least knowing that you're going to a forgiveness session helps. And then, and then the, the way I work with people is I get them to do the process as an imaginary conversation. And so you do the whole thing with your eyes closed and you're going through the different steps as if it's a, a guided visualization. And on my website, um, on if you just do forgiveness, madeeasy.co.uk and then do forward slash book bonus there's a, a a recording of me taking you through the steps an mp3 of me so you can do step one so i'll tell you what to do and then you can pause it and you can speak out loud do your part and then undo the pause and then keep going and that will take you through the steps so you can do it that way um, like, oh, and once you know what the steps roughly are you can just do it by yourself walking around the woods or you know on a long drive as long as you're paying attention but don't close your eyes um you know so it's like so there's there's ways of doing it even in sort of waking consciousness but if it's something very specific and particularly if it involves trauma and if it involves um early material from your childhood i would really recommend that you work with a therapist i would never recommend that somebody who'd been abused for example would work on their own but you can use it for everyday things so the you know so elon musk or helicopters or you know the daily you know irritations of life you can use that the process for that and so the very first step is to um is to make eye contact so so it's 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 basically you're you're just doing eye to eye so you're making eye contact with the person in your imagination and i and i try and set it up 
similar to in the journey um, Brandon Bay's journey work where you use a campfire I when I first did forgiveness work I had like a um a lovely wingback chair, a green wingback chair and a fireplace. And there's something about having the presence of uh, fire there in your imagination because it's a, it's a metaphor for transformation. So it also means that you can let things go like your resentment and any patterns and pain can go into the fire. So that's, that's the very first step is just to invite the person that you want to forgive to the fire and make eye contact with them. Shall I keep going? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that then the, the second step is you talk heart to heart. So this would be the part that um, has a resonance with the Catholic um, sense of confession. So you would confess the full extent of your resentment. And that really means that you get the chance to say everything you need to say to them that you would probably never say to them to their face because they wouldn't want to sit there long enough for you to say it but also you get to say all the things that you're ashamed of. And one of the things I write about in my book is my epiphany about forgiveness came around my relationship with my mother. And it's slightly unusual because she was ill with multiple sclerosis. And that really, from the age when I was about 15, that had a massive impact on my family and on her well-being and m me becoming her carer. So by the time I was 20, I took a year off my university course to look after her as her carer. And so my relationship with forgiveness was about acknowledging and admitting that I had resented my mum for being ill. Yeah, that, I mean, again, forgiving somebody for having a horrible illness that ends up yeah. killing them. Yeah. Is, you know, that's like... I can see that that's a, that's a very very awkward and difficult thing to wrestle with in yourself, isn't it? Because exactly. it's it's nobody. Exactly. It's not. I wasn't her fault. She got ill, yep. um, but it also did impact your life in a bad way. And and it's but then your feelings not being rational, you know. So many of our feelings, um, you know, don't don't kind of take into account all of those perspectives. You know, yeah, and exactly. it's just like, oh, my mum screwed my life up because she got ill yeah, yeah exactly and all the things that i didn't get you know and then it, because we don't really know what to do in it and there's often grief included so i wasn't really grieving the relationship with her and what i was losing she was ill for a really long time before she died so we we were she was sick for until i was 30 so for 15 years that was a dominant experience in my household her illness had such a massive impact on my brother in particular and my sister as well and my dad, you know, so, and you don't really want to admit that you resent somebody for that. And it's like when people die, we resent people for dying mm -hmm. because it changes the dynamic. We resent them if they commit suicide, but we don't admit that because how could we, and was it our fault? And was there something we could have said? And it's very complex. And so one, again, one of the other things that I think is important about my book is that I'm saying, we, we resent things that we don't even want to admit that we resent. And I don't know if you're aware of that. I can't remember what it's called. There's something or other window, I think it's with J, but the, the window of things that we're not aware of and that we are aware of. Oh, the Overton window? I can't remember what it's, this is. I think it's the, the, Jan <laughs> the Jansen window or something. I can't remember. I have to look it up. But it's basically we're, we're aware yeah. of things that other people are also aware of. You know, like you're wearing a grey top. Mm. Then there's things that... I'm aware of, um, but you're not aware of. They're things I haven't told you. 
then there's the things that you're aware of that I'm not aware of. So I might have a twitch that I'm not conscious of, but you can see it. And then there's the things that I'm not aware of and you're not aware of, which is the, you know, the, 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 what's very hidden. But I think we, we don't want to admit our own resentments. We don't even want to admit them to ourselves, let alone to another person. And so the opportunity to confess the full extent of your resentment. This is where it links up with, with shadow work. Is it that there, exactly. there are yeah. feelings we have which are so distorted, ugly, deformed, irrational, um, monstrous, even unfair on other people, and yeah. you know, thinking of being unf- angry with somebody for being ill, you know, <clears throat> that that kind of feeling. I think to have a, a safe space in the way we tr- we relate to ourselves is really important in that respect yeah. that it's like it's okay i'm not going to just because i have you know if we if, if you imagine we're, we're made up of lots of sub personalities <clears throat> you know if we were to use this thing of the blaming somebody for, for getting ill and you know having trouble forgiving them for it that's that makes up a tiny part of our actual identity but it feels so toxic that we worry that if we touch it, it will just like some rot will just infect the whole of us. And it's, and I think, yeah, I mean, how, if somebody, that was their stance, they said there's something, I, I, I can't even like admit it uh, because it, 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 they're worried that if they un, unleash that part of themselves, that's it. They're just going to turn into some horrible festering, sinful um monster what what would be your response to to that worry i i i encourage it i i let them and and that's what i do one of the reasons why it takes 90 minutes to do a process with me is because i will keep saying is there anything else Mm. and i'll give you like all these different stems so when you're when you're talking to the person you're saying i resent you for all the times when i hate you for I'm angry with you because I wish you hurt me when, thank you for. So there may be a whole range of things that need to be said. And so I really encourage them. And even sometimes, if necessary, in their imagination, they feel so angry. I was working with somebody the other day who felt so angry, they actually wanted to hurt the person they were speaking to. And so you give permission for that energy, the anger energy, to fully express. And again, that's why you have a fire there. And when I work one-to-one with people, I also give them a mentor and sometimes we work with a younger you. So it's a bit more complex than the one that I use in the book, but the very simplified version is to encourage people to say what needs to be said. And going back to the Catholic tradition, the confession was you able to say to the priest, everything that was in your mind and all this, you know, the grievances in your heart and all the things that you were ashamed of. And then the priest would sanction, you know, would kind of say, okay, just say these Hail Marys or whatever it is to clear your soul sort of thing. 
and what so so i've kind of drawn from that tradition without having a priest as the as the emissary or the or the um mm. you know the, the intervention between you and the divine and you can do it directly and working with somebody can be very powerful because if you're someone is hearing you saying all these things and they're not running away screaming they're just holding the space just saying it's okay for you to say those things and to feel those things yeah, I think cl client confidentiality creates is it goes a long way to creating a safe space. And the a priest, when you go to confess, confidentiality is an assumption. There is yeah. Um, so that's the kind of yeah. And I think you know when you're working with some of these extremely powerful and um, you know monstrous parts of ourselves that, that we think are monstrous. When you unleash that to work on it, you may be temporarily overwhelmed, actually. You know, you might feel like you're being engulfed by shame about having that particular feeling, but it, it's, it's only going to be temporary. You know, it's, um, and I think that's probably why a 90 minute session or several sessions over weeks or years, you know, it's that kind of long term commitment to doing a work means that you yeah. you you're not going to be annihilated by yeah and and yeah. do you know um jill balty taylor's work do you, mm. you come across her TED talk? well she does yeah 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 well she she talks about um the feelings that run through your veins are chemicals and they normally only last about 90 seconds unless right. you're feeding them mm. and so what I'm, I mean, I feel incredibly lucky to have worked with as many different people as I have. And because when we set the process up, they're, they're talking in their imagination as if they're talking to someone. It's so real in the moment that, and they're so engaged that somehow it seems like it doesn't re-traumatize them really weirdly. Whereas mm. I think tr talking about something can be re-traumatizing because you're thinking about it and you're experiencing the actual event again whereas when you're talking directly in your imagination to someone to correct what didn't ever get said at the time including get off me you know that like actually mm. letting yourself use mm. your throat to say the things that never got said at the time can be incredibly healing and powerful rather than overwhelming so it, so i mean so it's like you hold the space for those things to keep moving rather than keep looping does that yeah. make sense yeah 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 um yeah it makes me think of an evolutionary process is a sort of has a direction to it doesn't it yeah. whereas yeah. this this is sort of cyclical thing of you know trying to get out of so <clears throat> what we're on step three there is that yes so so eye to eye heart to heart then shoe to shoe where you then, after you've said everything that you need to say, and that is the longest part of the process. So, and, and I do keep going, is there anything else? And then I say, check your back pockets. And is there anything else? So that you really feel like you have the chance to say everything that you didn't have the opportunity to say and might never say anyway in real life. Because also often our resentments are about us. I used to resent my mum for wearing pop socks you know, but I said it because I did, you know, yeah. and so it's like, it's, it's, it's not, none of it's rational and it's not really about the other person, but it's for you to just own. And then when you said everything, the next step is shoe to shoe where you actually swap 
positions with the other person you step into their shoes they step into yours and you and you let yourself respond as them and and there's two levels that this works on so sometimes there's the the when you do that first switch sometimes they go i i didn't realize that was so hurtful to you and i'm really sorry sometimes they go don't give me that lip how dare you be so rude and so you're kind of like you're allowing whatever the response is the genuine response from the other person before you then go back so there might be a bit of interchange between the two of you just like in ken wilbur's shadow you know the three two one process you are doing that this is you know what i also stole from um so you're going backwards and forwards between the two and he then, stole it from someone else exactly we're all standing <laughs> on the shoulders of giants um and um and then you go up higher so you do the william urie move and you go to the balcony and then you're able to and and when i do this with my clients i i get their mentors because it's a bit more complex to take them up so like in scrooge like in the ghosts of past present and future hate help you to look down on your life and see the damage you did the you know the the mess you created and take responsibility for it and so you've got the other person and you both looking down at the balcony from the balcony at the the scene and then you're able to take a higher wider perspective and that can be very helpful mm. because given you know like sometimes i mean sometimes when i do that with my clients they go oh you know they haven't got a higher self or you know they're, they're still arguing with me in which case i just say well you know, just keep going higher you know so you just have to keep going and sometimes you have to transcend the personality pretty much altogether in order to be able to do that particular thing. But eventually what normally happens pretty much without exception is the other person will be apologizing in some form or the other, or they're, or they're getting a sense that the other person really gets the damage they did or the pain they caused, or they can see things clearly and take responsibility for what they did and didn't do. And also from that perspective, the client is also used to able then to see well, maybe it was to do with the fact that my mum was abused when she was a girl or my dad was sent to boarding school or, you know, like you have a kind of more of a, like a, a bigger picture on why the person who you've been resenting has been behaving the way they have. Does that make sense so far? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. It's good. And it's really good. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, I, I, mean, I honestly, uh, it, this is, it feels like, um, the more I talk about it, the more I know how, you know, it's, it's almost like it's so important that we do this work. And it's almost like there's a million places to, you know, go wrong. And there's, there are ways of making it easier on us, which is what my passion is about, you know, like what can help us to get there and, 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 you know, and just seeing yeah. the shifts uh, that people make. Uh, the, the speed, um, this spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. That's yeah. uh, you're, 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 you're always refining the sugar. So. Yeah, ex yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, and every single time I do a, a session with a client, I get better at doing it. And mm. then I learn more things about what does and what doesn't work. Mm. And also having worked on the retreats where there would be several of us working with one client, we would then be able to feedback, you know, like what worked, how far have they got with their process and how much further can we take them in mm. you know their next step so it's it's it's, it's interesting that you these are on these the the detox retreats you do yeah. yeah so they're you know i like that that it's it's a physical detox they're doing juicing colonics all of that stuff but they're also doing emotional 
detox. Yeah. This is very much a detox on the emotional level, isn't it? Very much. Yeah. And people often come because they want to lose weight, but actually it's the weight in their hearts mm. that they actually end up losing. And they had no clue that was why they were coming, yeah. but they realizing that there's a relationship between them holding the weight and they're holding the resentment. So, and it is, I mean, traditionally proper spiritual retreats would involve fasting, you know, internal shadow work and, you know, cleansing of that sort of you know intense nature it's not for the faint-hearted by any means but it's mm. very profound and yeah. our little strap line is one week to change your life and people genuinely say they did mm. and, and and a lot of it is to do with the forgiveness work that they do i, I remember one client who um, she was in her 70s and she'd been sexually abused as a, a teenager and she said all that bad feeling that i was carrying around with me every day gone amazing mm. amazing so what step are we on now so we're on we're on four so so eye to eye heart to heart shoe to shoe go to the balcony so we've we've like they've looked at they've looked at um the bigger picture so the next step is five which is where you um you confess the full not the full extent um your payoffs and your costs so you're looking at why have i been holding on to my resentment and what has it cost me? And this is kind of optional. So often what happens when, with, when I work with my clients is we'll get to the point where they've been to the balcony and then I'd say, are you willing to forgive them? And they go. And at that point I go, well, that's a no. And so, but let's look at why you've been holding the resentment. And this is the bit that this gets very interesting. So you're kind of looking at why, why am I holding to my, onto my resentment? What have I been getting out of it? Why am I not just going, yeah, okay, I see that they were doing the best they could or, you know, they didn't mean it or blah, blah, blah. Why am I not able to just, you know, let it go? Why am I still holding on? What's my hesitation? And so you're looking at the payoffs for holding on to the resentment, which like we've already kind of discussed, things like protection, feels like power. It can be the moral high ground. It can be even things like telling a story to yourself, like, well, you see, my mum was ill when I was a girl. So you can't really expect me to blah, blah, blah. You know, you use it as an excuse to not fully reach your potential or a victim story or justifying, well, my boss, no wonder I steal the stationery. I mean, she's such a cow, mm. you know, mm. that kind you know, that kind of thing. So you, you then use it as a, as an excuse, but then you look at what's the downside. So when I do that thing and I take the stationery, that's not mine. I'm compromising my integrity. I'm not being who I really want to be. I'm not free. If I'm running a martyr story, I'm not in my power. So it's actually robbing me of my power. If I'm resenting somebody, it's in my body. So it's costing me in my physical health. It's costing me in my peace of mind. I'm not sleeping very well at the moment, you know, and I really hate my husband. I wonder if there's a relationship, you know, between those two things, you know, so it's like, so you're always looking at what is it um, that's the downside of carrying the resentment of having the poison in my veins. You know, the stones are in my shoes. I'm the one who's crippled and hobbling along, mm. you know, they're just like off doing whatever they want to do. Mm. So, so, so sometimes you want to look at what the payoffs are and what the costs are and that, and then you tell them to the other person because that's a part of your resentment. So that's, that's, it's kind of an optional 
part and it's it's but it can be really the bit that shifts and when sometimes again when i'm working with people in a live situation not now because of covid but before that i used to pile people up with cushions so or or maybe their suitcase and you know like and so they they'd have like lots of different things all kind of like piled up you know so that they were holding on to their resentment and then and then i'd say you know are you willing to let it go and at that point they'd be going yes please let me let it go because they feel the weight of it whereas before they weren't conscious of what it was costing them so that's that's mm -hmm. the fifth one and then the sixth is to do your forgiveness part so there's then there's a, an exchange and again back to my catholic inheritance the vow there's something really powerful about repeat after me. You know, when you got married, there were words that were said, there were gestures, and then somehow something's different. You're man and wife. You know, I mean, you've just said stuff, you know, you repeat after me, but there's something about having it as a ritual and having that sincerity in the exchange. And so I have quite a long spiel that I say to, that I do as a repeat after me. So, you know, like, even though I may not understand what you did or why you did it, I choose to completely and utterly forgive you. You know, so there's things that, so I do a repeat after me that's quite long. Um, and that, that is so that you know that you've done the forgiveness bit. And I even say the words and I forgive you twice in case you missed it the first time we do it. So you have the chance to actually say it twice. And that's the sort of the gesture of forgiveness. And then there's, if, you know, if necessary, there's a sense of letting go of your resentment. So you can imagine yourself putting your resentment in the fire, letting go of any kind of old relation path, you know, patterns of relating. Sometimes, you know, I get the mentor, if I have a mentor in there, um, uh, removing um, any, so it, like between the chakras, you know, any, um, energies it shouldn't be there you know that kind of thing so you can you can do lots of things in your imagination and it may be like as a child if you felt like someone had taken something from you you could imagine them giving it back um when i work with my clients i also do um like give them a magic potion of resourceful states and stuff like that but that's that's kind of like more um complicated but with just this particular step it's the it's the gesture of forgiveness and saying the words out loud and hearing yourself say them it's very powerful. Sometimes people genuinely weep at that point. <clears throat> yeah, I think there's uh, actually saying something out loud. Um, there's biological reasons why that's actually uh, an important step. Yeah, and that, that's partly take. why I do the whole the whole process, the whole forgiveness made easy process is done out loud. You're speaking out loud to the person mm. and they're replying back. You're using your voice the whole time and um, more than writing. Writing can be really powerful as well, but there's something even more powerful, I think, about using your voice. Mm. So, well, but I am, I'm very much in favor of whatever works. You know, like if my forgiveness process doesn't work, then don't use it. You do something else, you know, as long as you find what works for you. So, where, uh, in it, are we at step seven yet? Yeah, nearly there. So that six, was step six. Six is the exchange of words, and then mm -hmm. seven is the completion. So it may be that there's other things that you then say, and I'm going to take you to court, or I'm going to get the law changed about this. So they, there may be something that you, you know, like, or I'm going to set up a charity for victims of the abuse that I suffered. So it's like, so the, there may be something that you want to say to the person that like, I'm going forward. And if they're still in your life, 
it could be from now on, I'm going to treat you with more love or I'm going to be more understanding or my intention is, you know, so there may be something that you want to do differently as a result of your forgiveness work. So that is the, that's the seventh step, which is going forward. Yeah. It's really comprehensive. Yeah. I like it's, it. And, mm. and it takes 90 minutes, but then it's like, but then you get free. I mean, you genuinely can <laughs> yeah. get free in 90 minutes. And then sometimes, and I write about this in the book, you might do a forgiveness process on somebody. And I give this example of this woman that I, I met um, who lived locally and we were at the same dance class and a friend of mine was saying, Oh, you should get on really well. And I'm sure you'll really, you know, become friends. And I was like, mm, I don't know. Don't really get her. And I did, I just said, well, maybe we could lift share. And she went, no, I'd rather be on my own. All right. And uh, so then I went home, did my forgiveness work. And then a few days later, I met her in the health food shop and, um, and she went, and I was in a bit of a rush. I said, Oh, can I just quickly, push in and she went ooh golden and I was just like I've just done my forgiveness work and so I went home and did my forgiveness work again <laughs> and um and then we're now really good friends so it's kind of like she was kinda like she was proof of like if you keep doing your you know 70 times seven like I didn't want to mm. hold resentment against her because she was a, like a friend of a friend and you know and it just turned out that we actually did become really good friends um, mm. but I don't know if we would if I hadn't done my forgiveness work so mm. Yeah, I kind of I'd written down some things that um, are difficult things for us to forgive, um, and they, some of them seem so they're almost taboo. Um, one, I, I've written down the environmental crisis mm -hmm. that you know, can, on an individual level, or, or maybe even collectively. Uh, well, both of those, in fact, can we forgive humanity and ourselves for possibly destroying the planet we're living on? Wow. That's a big one. That is, a big and I, and I and there's there's so much resentment out there, and um, a, a real feeling that it is it is unforgivable. And and then there's this whole thing coming up about current generate the younger generations are they able to forgive the boomers you know for Apparently not. uh for destroying the planet you know with mm. their booming industry after world war ii and yeah. all of that stuff and um yeah that's uh, i think the way i can the way i can forgive humanity and myself for being part of this destructive um thing you know where we're possibly destroying our planet is we as as humans we're just we are where we are in terms of the evolution of our consciousness and was it, i think somebody was saying where they go around giving lectures around the world and they said what what age do you feel humanity is collectively? And most people say kind of adolescent is, is what, you know, the, the, the world population taken as a whole of, of humanity feels like. And I, 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 that kind of resonates with me. And I, and I think, well, I, I was, was an adolescent myself. Uh, I was, did so many stupid things. I mean, the thing about being an adolescent is you think you're way, way more accomplished and knowledgeable and wise and everything than you actually are 
and engaging in all sorts of destructive behavior you know to your you treat your body like crap and men and boys and girls treat each other like crap and um you don't you don't really care about society you know other people other old people for example are just annoying i don't know it's just that um uh so i mean in a i I could do a cognitive thing there where I'm kind of saying, well, I can let humanity off the hook because, you know, they're, they're just morally and, cog and intellectually not at the level where they could care about the planet, you know. Um, but I also, because I've got children myself and I can see how they act against their own interests, because of the, the development of where they are as um, as people um I've, I've got this kind of emotional understanding that i don't when i see my boys fighting over something utterly ridiculous and just ruining their whole day it's a bit like polluting their own world you know but mm -hmm. they're polluting their their own day for each other over something totally ridiculous I don't blame them really because it's they're just who they are they're at the, the state the cognitive and emotional developmental stage they're at um and I can feel that on, on, on that level as a parent I, I feel that way about my own children and can I feel that way about myself and humanity at large um, yeah it's it's a really good question actually ralph because it's like it's one of the biggest things and you know and greta thunberg has said you know if you don't do something about it we will never forgive you mm. um but it's like so the question really to ask is how will not forgiving help because because not forgiving is like going no. i refuse to forgive that isn't going to help you know mm. like changing our behavior is going to help you know, choosing to make different choices, to be as aware as we can be with the intelligences that we have. And, you know, and we are so, I mean, human beings are so manipulable. I mean, we really genuinely are. If you put chocolate bars by the checkout, we'll buy them because we see them and we want them. Mm. We're that easy to manipulate. And we're being manipulated all the time, especially now with the, you know, with, um, with social media and, and the amount that we're now engaged with our electronic devices, you know, our five screen lives. We, we, we are utterly um, hypnotized. Mm. And that makes it worse because we're not hypnotized to make the right choices. We're hypnotized to make the wrong choices. And so it's almost like we're trying to go against the stream, just like you said, you know, the level of development that hum humanity is at is fairly basic and we want what we want and we want it now. And even, you know, even more so now that we actually can press a button and it'll arrive, you know, even later that evening or the next day. So we, it's, it, our, you know, immediate sense of, you know, gratification gets gratified and that's addictive. And what we need to be doing is making long-term choices. And in some ways, the, the, I think that one of the other reasons why I'm so passionate about forgiveness is it, it's, it's developing those muscles in us that we don't even know where they are. And like mindfulness, like meditation practice, like choosing things for the longer term, it's an unfamiliar thing that I think without it, we have no future. There's a Desmond Tutu quote, which is without forgiveness, there really is no future. And it's like, we need to 
settle our differences so that we can come together and create the world the way we need to. And there's a really great William Urey quote where he says, to begin with, he, if you'd said it was internal work that was gonna resolve the global conflicts, he would have thought you were just like a naive hippie. But now he says he knows that it isn't gonna happen unless we do both. We have to do our internal work and also we need to make the changes in in the in the glo in the global um arena mm. so and that so i think that i think it's both and Re resentment isn't going to help us forgiveness yeah. might yeah yeah it's a, a a weird dangerous time we live in with polarization due to social media i mean have you seen the social dilemma that documentary yes yeah you know, and it's it's kind of making forgiveness harder. And then also the internet doesn't forget anything. So everything you've done, like before the internet, you could, someone could do something and then over time people forget about it. And then they're just sort of through the grace of time, they're just forgot forgiven because it just loses its momentum. But everything you've ever done is on the internet yeah. and um, you can't erase it. It's just there. In, in all in our faces for all time yeah well thanks barbara um Such a pleasure. it it's a it's a it's a very deep and nuanced subject isn't it yeah. i mean it's like you know you could we've just talked for ages about it and i mean i we could talk for ages more um but in essence it is just that simple that forgiveness is really important and the more things you can forgive in your life the better your life and everyone else's life is going to be <laughs> that's the sort of essence of it yeah. but the art of forgiveness is all of the, everything we've just passed out in this conversation and more um yeah, yeah. like like so many of these things the best practices are very very simple concepts very they're not difficult things to understand they're just hard to do uh, like so many valid and important things in life yeah, yeah. amen yeah well um th thank you so much and um I'll, I'll stop the recording a minute and we can say goodbye like normal people <laughs> but um say so for just for people to find out more about your stuff the, 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 just say the website again Yes, the website is forgivenessmadeeasy.co.uk and um, Forgiveness Made Easy is available, hopefully, by the time this goes out in all three formats, audiobook, paperback, and also on as an ebook. And um, I am working on a course, creating a course for it too. And a wow. Workbook. Cool, that's comprehensive. Yeah. Wow. Lucky world. <laughs> thanks so much, Ralph. Okay, thanks, Barbara. Thank you.